Hey, Sean. Yeah? Do you hear that? Uh, a little bit. It sounds like it sounds like Santa's sleigh. It's a little oh. early for Santa's sleigh to be coming. I, well, I think he's doing his rounds, seeing who's being naughty and nice, right? Checking his list. Oh, well, Price, then we're in trouble. Right? For, yeah. for the amount of episodes we've done bad things. Oh, man. Uh, but you know what we I forgot to do? What's that? I forgot to make my Christmas wish list. Oh. I forgot to send my letter to Santa. What about you? Have you done that? Uh, no, I uh, I haven't yet. That's, uh, I've been a little lazy this year. Yeah? Okay, well, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to take the next hour and a bit and go over our most wanted Christmas games and board games. Ooh, and ooh, can we talk about movies, too, that we want to watch with our friends and family? Yeah, we. you know what? That sounds like a good plan. So I think we're going to just start. I'm going to get my pen, my paper out, and we're going to jot some of these downs. All of that and more on this episode of the Scene on Screen podcast. Hey, whether it's your favorite tabletop adventure, movie, or video game, we've got you covered. Welcome to the Scene on Screen podcast with your hosts, Sean and David. What's up? What's up? How are you all doing today? This beautiful mid-December, not too snowy, kind of slushy, rainy Friday, you know? I think it was raining here. Um, my, my drive to work today was rain, sleet, snow, a little bit of hail. I was pretty much the mailman's motto on the way to work today. Except you didn't deliver anything. Do you remember that whole thing when you were a kid? It was like, neither, nor rain, nor sleet, no snow, no hail. Yeah, That's how no. they tried to recruit people to the post office. It was yeah. like the military, but not. And now it's worse. It's like, oh, a little bit of uh, snow there. Well, I'm just going to uh, say that I attempted delivery but was unable to and drive off. Yeah, well, call my day canceled. That's for sure. <laughs> Pretty much. Don't you so, just love uh, when you like waiting now in for for the mailman? Or male woman. No, it's delivery, annoying as hell. To deliver your package and you're like, um, they are worse than Santa. They're faster than Santa. It could be out for delivery, right? And you'll be sitting there at the door at the window waiting, watching. And then next thing you know it, you you go to the fridge to get some cold, refreshing eggy milk, also known as eggnog to the peasants. Um I you so much. Yeah. Oh, it's delicious. <laughs> Thick. Eggy milk. Anyways, so you go to get a glass of that, and you go back, and there's a delivery attempted notice on your door. Oh, and yeah, it's the worst, yeah. especially with UPS, because you know they don't want to try. Oh, yeah. Um, speaking of which, so the other day, just a fun little story. I was at home. It was a Sunday, and I was like really contemplating. I was struggling. I was. Uh, it was a nice day. I was like, do I go disc golfing or not? Because, like, you know, I can play video games, whatever, but disc golf only while the weather's good. And I'm, like, back and forth, back and forth. And my friend's like, yeah, okay, let's go. So we decided to go. And in the half hour that it took me to get ready, not once, not twice, but thrice times, somebody knocked on the door with a package. So I don't know if, like, the Amazon delivery people were just working in different vans that day. Sometimes. But there was three different deliveries 
And I messaged Chris. I'm like, how many things did you order? She's like, don't touch them. I'm like, do you want me to bring them into the apartment? She's like, yes, but be careful. But don't touch them because I don't want you to guess what's inside them. I was like, okay. So, so funny story also happened to me today. I got a call from a private number. And normally I don't answer the phone if it's like a number I don't know or whatever. Uh, but I figured, uh, whatever, I'll answer it. And it was uh, pure later. And they're like, uh, we have uh, we have a package that we wanted to that, or that was attempted to to deliver to you today, um, but the delivery person said that there's n- no address. Like the address on here is not inc- is not correct. Is like the street address is like one zero zero six four, and I'm like, uh, no, it's uh, ten sixty four. They're like, oh. Okay. Yep. We'll uh, get that sorted out and send it to you. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's the first time I've ever had Perlator actually called to confirm something. More often than not, they're just like, oh, address cannot be delivered. Return it to sender. Interesting. And it's funny. Angela's like, what was that? I'm like, it was Perlator. She's like, what'd you order? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you don't want to open it in front of her just in case it was a gift. You're yeah, because like, I've ordered some things online that should be arriving that are for her. And I don't know how they're being shipped, when they're being shipped. I haven't really gotten any shipping notifications from things because everything is kind of all stupid right now. Oh, speaking well, of stupid, mm-hmm. I ordered another Xbox Series X. Not for me. It was for a coworker of mine who's been trying to find one for her son. So I get a notification online. Well, not really a notification, but I was just browsing red flag deals. And saw that Dell had them in stock. So I went through, managed to check out, order it, and all was good in the world. And then today, like at 6.30, I get an email from Dell. Dell, dear value. We need that sad music right now. Um, I think I have it here. Hold on. Dear valued customer, we are contacting you about your recent order for the Microsoft Xbox Series X console bundle. We regret to inform you that we were unable to fulfill your order, which has been cancelled. Due to overwhelming demand of our Xbox Series X offer, we quickly sold out of this item. Unfortunately, a system error allowed for the item to be oversold beyond our available inventory. We apologize for any frustration and any inconvenience it has caused. Due to high interest in this product, availability is limited. Please continue to check Dell.ca for the latest. You will not be charged for the order, and any authorization holds will be released in accordance with your financial institution's banking policy. In the event you have already been charged, thank you for your money. We will accept it as a kind donation. We apologize for any frustration and appreciate your understanding. You out-talked our dramatic piano. (laughs) Oh, man. That was sad and dramatic. But yeah, so I I got this email, and I was like, ah, Son of a bitch, but oh well, I had to send the bad news to my coworker. That's too bad. Um, just before we get into uh, the nuts and bolts of this episode, I was listening to another podcast, the Office Ladies podcast. You okay? traitor, listening to well, a podcast other than our own. It's uh, it's the <laughs> Office Rewatch podcast. By the way, shout out to the few people that uh, sent us your Spotify top tens. Or your top fives, and our show made some of the top five lists. I saw five or six of them. Ooh. I know we don't have a lot of episodes, but 
We were in some good company. I saw one where we were in the same realm at or in the top five had Joe Rogan Experience and the Steve Dangle Podcast. So thank you very oh, yeah. much. But and, uh, and, and enter clapping applause sound here. I don't have the the uh, the applause on here today. I apologize. I uh, I came half prepared. Um, but I was listening to the Office Ladies podcast. I'm very far behind. I'm like in season two. Um where they're talking about the episode Benihana Christmas. Do you recall this episode where Michael um, and his girlfriend at the time break up and then they go to Benihana and there's like two different office parties. Do you remember this episode? What show is this? The Office. Uh, No, I don't. I I don't. I never really watched The Office. Well, we're going to pretend you do remember. Okay. Yes, Um, I remember that episode. And you're not going to be able to answer the trivia question correctly, but that's okay. When they are at Benihana, mm-hmm. Andy is trying to be really cool and impressing Michael and Jim, and he orders a, a Nagasaki, which is one part eggnog and three parts sake. They were talking about this on the episode. I thought it was pretty funny because there was another website that actually um, attempted to make the drink, and they said it was horrible. <laughs> that the, sounds the, awful. The before and after, t- like. The before and after taste was pretty much gross. Like it just kind of lingered. The other thing that I found really interesting was they said that um, in two of the attempts to make the drink, you could see the eggnog curdle. Have you ever, have you ever been to a bar where somebody's curdled a drink? No. So we were at a birthday party years and years ago and everybody got Irish car bombs. And you know, you have to have like, an iron stomach, you've had to be drinking a little bit, and you know you're going to pour that heavy-ass drink down as fast as possible. Down your gullet, yeah. I, I believe I shared a, an Irish car, uh, car bomb with you and a few others when we were in school at the old Molly's in London. Yep, yep. But um, I watched this guy literally put the um, Irish cream inside his Guinness, and it just sank to the bottom. And you know when you watch a lava lamp and the bubbles kind of come up to the top and go. That's what the (laughs) Irish cream looked like coming out of this beer. And it was disgusting because it just clumped on top of the glass. So I can say very vividly, I know what that sounds like and looks like. And I'm I'm slightly disturbed a little. Yeah. Man, you know what? I just realized. If if the coronavirus is gone next year, we can go out can again. You, can you imagine like the Christmas parties that people are going to have? Oh, they're going to be legendary. I think we should host a Christmas party. The the scene on screen Christmas mixer. No, you oh. know what? Holiday non-denominational holiday mixer. Yeah. That way everybody can feel included. This is true. Now, I'll start planning now, but you know what we got to start planning first. Is it the quick Warner Brothers news that I, I wanted oh, to yeah. throw in before we got well, to the Christmas well, stuff? Sure, let's toss that in there. So last week we told you guys all about how Warner Brothers has decided to um, release all of their content exclusively to HBO Max next year as a trial run. Now, what's going to happen again? Just as a reminder, is some of their biggest movies, including The Matrix, Wonder Woman. And a few others, Doctor Do- or um, Sherlock Holmes, and what was the other? Re- oh, Dune. 
mm-hmm. are going to straight are straight to a streaming service. And they're going to be this is going to be a trial run for Warner Brothers over the next year to see if they can integrate both streaming services and theater going. Now, some people are really upset about this, including actors, agents, and studios. Now, the reason this is uh, becoming a bigger and bigger thing is a lot of these studios are sitting there going like, well, does this mean we or like the agents and the actors are pissed because now that there is going to be no um, they, they call it gate totals or ticket sales. There's going to be no ticket sales to help pay for these actors. Are the actors going to make less money? Is it going to lower the budget of the film? Because now you don't have to pay the actors as much because there's going to be no ticket revenue. Mm-hmm. So they're all a little upset about that. Um, there's also been a little bit of news since then in Canada that Crave might not have the same rights because while Crave has exclusive rights to HBO in Canada, um, and HBO Max entities, they weren't prepared for such a missile to, to hit their service, which has increased um, their subscription services. So now they're trying to get the rights to a few things too. Worry not though. I do believe I saw a release from Crave saying Wonder Woman 1984 will be available on Christmas day. So I really hope that's still the case um, because I know as well, like I know for myself and you included, I think a lot of people are going to be tuning in to watch that on Christmas day. Yeah, because no, like it's going to be something to watch. It's going to be different to like have a theatrical release happen on Christmas Day that you actually care about. That's not Shaggy the dog. <laughs> this is true. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on it really quick because I thought it was really interesting to see that like stars, studios, agents, everybody is just really upset about this whole. Um new way of thinking and this new age thinking for Warner brothers. Like I, I would have laughed so hard if this was Sony first because Sony would have just caused an absolute riot. And, and the thing is though, like it's, it's understandable their concerns Mm -hmm. and the reason why they're upset. But at the same time, you know, as creators, you know, our podcasts might not be, as big as some of these movies, you know, we're getting up there, but you know, we're not there yet, but as creators, um, and regardless of the level of fame that you are, I think everyone just kind of wants to make something and have it seen, have people enjoy their content that they're making. Um, and this whole pandemic has really delayed a lot of things. And, the fact that Warner brothers is willing to like, they're definitely going to be taking a huge cut on the profits that these movies would be making. Right. By releasing them on HBO max and crave. But now it comes down to the, is it the actors that are like, are they just being greedy? Like, I understand they need to get paid. Right. Yeah. Well, can I, can I read you a few snippets to, probably make that a little bit clearer. Sure. So it works like, so this is according to the New York times. It works like this. Studios compensate a list actors, directors, writers, and producers by two separate checks, one guaranteed upfront fee. And one that comes from a portion of ticket sales after a studio has recouped its costs per the New York times quote unquote. If a film flops, the second payday never happens. If a film is a hit, it's often the case with superheroes and other fantasy stories. And the back end pay can add up to, Wheelbarrows full of cash, including extra money that they did not expect. 
The money trickles down through the Hollywood's financial ecosystem to agents, lawyers, and managers, um, as well as funding for Pacific Palisades mansions, whatever that means. <laughs> the latest Porsche. Oh, this is why it's just listing a bunch of crap. Um, the quote continues to say, it is unclear whether or not Warner Brothers has a legal requirement to renegotiate back end arrangements for the 17 movies as it did with Wonder Woman 1984 heavyweights. Uh, Mr. Kalar said in a phone interview that on Friday that while these changes might be jarring for those who expected or for those who expected the one thing for their movie. And now they're getting something very, very different. The end goal was to honor talent relationships as the studio has done in the past. So it sounds like the big stars are going to get at least 75 to hundred percent of what they're owed. The other thing that I find incredibly interesting, especially in some of the clauses um, that um, actors have, um, and it came out recently the other day, um, how much Scarlett Johansson's already made for Black Widow merchandise for the new film. Mm. Because people are still buying the toys, people are buying the Lego sets, people are buying the Funkos. And when the movie finally comes out, these Funkos have been out on the market for like seven months. And they're all first run, right? So anything after that is going to be a little bit further. I find these quotes very interesting. Because to me, I did not under like I thought that if a movie like let's say Bradley Cooper signed up for a movie, Guardians of the Galaxy as an example, he was playing an animated raccoon. He probably got his like six to eight million dollars or whatever he got for that film right up front, right? Or the studio split mm-hmm. it over like three or four pays. Right. I didn't realize that it was we're going to pay you a percentage now, and then you have the earning potential to this based on how the film does. I picked Rocket because Rocket's a very popular character. There's lots of toys, video games, all that kind of extra residual money for himself, including anytime Guardians of the Galaxy gets streamed on television, they all make that that money, that good money. So I find it very interesting. I'm very... Interested to see how this all plays out. And we're going to know in a few weeks kind of what the first fallout is. Because Wonder Woman's not going to be available to everyone. It's only going to be available to people on HBO Max. And this film will hit movie theaters that are not closed. Now, if you're living in Canadian provinces like Ontario, the province day by day looks like it's going to shut down. Like you have no idea kind of what's going to happen the next day. But cases are going up and regions have already been shut down. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Alberta's shutting it down. Um, I was talking to somebody out in PEI who was saying that they're actually contemplating shutting it down because they had like 20 cases. And that's apparently a lot for them. And, you know. Yeah. British Columbia tightening it up. Mo- some states are back. To, like, I just saw Las Vegas shut down again. Wow. Yeah, like the state of Nevada is just like get out of here, Vegas. <laughs> it's it'll be, it'll definitely be interesting for sure. But I don't know. I still feel like um, yeah, these actors like they got paid, they got pampered while making these movies as well. They have a boatload of cash that they're sitting on as well. You know, it's just as someone who is working for the man, right, and. I, I don't know. I just feel like you guys have a shit ton of money already. And you know, I, I don't honestly, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of, he's not there, right? Yeah. It's, it's hard to feel bad for them. <laughs> and that's now, what it comes on, down to. On the flip side, 
if you did a big job, right, and you only got 50% up front, or we'll say in Gal Gadot's state, um, situation or Chris Pine, I think they got 60% up front. And you were trying to invest that money or you were using that money to help you get other jobs along the way or fund another movie because you're also producing, right? Mm-hmm. And you're waiting for that second paycheck and that second paycheck's not coming. That's where the sympathy, like, it doesn't matter if you make a dollar or a hundred dollars an hour. Like, if you're not getting what you're, what you deserve, that's not necessarily fair. Now, do I think actors deserve $20 million of film? No, not at all. So even if they were paid $1 million, you know, that's still $600,000 that they got paid. And when you think about the amount of time that actually goes into acting and like shooting the film with these actors in it, you know, it's, it's a fraction of the amount of time that goes into the actual production of a movie, you know, those guys don't make that much at all. And, and that's the thing is like the people in the special effects industry, editors, all that stuff, people working behind the scenes, they get paid their minimum wage jobs. Like, you know, they, they get paid hourly for the work that they do, if that, right? Mm-hmm. So still, you know, I would I would love to get paid 60% of $1 million to get a, to do one, one job. Oh, my God. No. I know we're about to go to something cheery, but you want to hear things that are just going to make you upset. Sure. <laughs> All right. So I just, uh, I typed in one of our favorite studios, Lucasfilm. Storyboard artist makes thirty seven k to one hundred sixty eight thousand dollars. Desktop support tech sixty three k to one hundred six. A film editor forty four k to ninety eight thousand dollars. Are you telling me the person who has to edit the whole goddamn movie makes forty four k? They make less than I do selling phones. That's that's crazy. That's stupid. And the thing is, is like people think that. You know, editing a film, editing a video is easy. Anyone can do it. Well, okay. Doing it in a basic, very basic way. Yes, that's easy. I can put a few clips of videos together and, you know, it'll look like trash, but it'll still be watchable. I've seen it. I've seen people who have decided that they're going to make some video. They, they've they seen other people's YouTube videos. They downloaded and purchased the subscription to Adobe cloud. Right. And now they think that they can just watch a few tutorials and make something that is phenomenal. You know, same like, level I, experience. I can argue that you and I, I mean, our training is outdated, but our, like we were professionally trained and have diplomas in being able to make videos. Like broadcast quality videos, not Mm -hmm. film quality videos, but you and I have that, right? And there are some people on TikTok and YouTube that just blow my mind that they've learned this just on friggin' Splice. Not Final Cut, not Premiere, not, um, God, what's the other one? You got it. The other, no, the one that, um, that we used when we used to, do volunteering at that TV station so I can keep names out of it. Yeah. What was it? Avid. There you go. Thanks. Man. I knew it was in you. Because <laughs> you had no idea. No, I knew um, because I, because remember I, uh, I, I bet one of the teachers that I could crack it. Oh, that's true. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so like we've had that professional training and you're like, when you're looking at these kind of jobs, you're looking at like, you're paying people for who are professionally trained, but there are some people out there that are editing and they're just getting jobs because they're talented, mm-hmm. which is fine with no professional training whatsoever. So maybe that kind of helps with the pay scale a little bit, but enough maybe, of this. Maybe though, but like it ultimately comes down to, you know, those editing videos and making content does take skill. It's not something that any schmuck can learn and do like you have to spend hundreds of hours practicing and working on content and learning things. Right. And like I said, it's not something that, you know, someone can just pick up and, and do after watching a few YouTube videos. And, and I've seen some stuff where they try and copy what YouTubers do, or they think that it's amazing because they don't have that eye for quality. And it's, you know, I'll give my honest opinion about videos. When people when people ask me for their my opinion on stuff, I'm known to be very blunt in my my honesty. You know, I'm one of these people that if you ask me f- for my opinion, I'm going to give you my opinion. If it hurts your feelings, then don't ask me for my opinion. But just to know that you know, video film editors are getting paid less than someone who just I don't know what was the other one. Someone like tech support oh the desktop support yeah there you go like you're getting paid less than someone who just does desktop support you know if it's not for those video editors you don't have content you don't have a movie you don't have a tv show yeah no i i 100 agree and i think i think that's something that maybe should be looked at mm-hmm. in time but speaking of uh movies yeah, this is where uh, this is where I was trying to uh, drive our sleigh. Happy Christmas so, movie time! Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't think any of these are made by Warner. So, uh, what David and I did, just like we've done in the past, is we've curated a list of our top ten um, favorite Christmas films that you should watch. We're going to talk a little bit about each one, and we're going to have some fun along the way because that's kind of what we do. Now, we used an impartial third party to kind of help blend our lists together because if you look at mine and David's list, there's some things that don't appear on each other's. Um, I have some honorable mentions that I'm sad that we missed out on, but all in all, I think we have a fairly good list and uh, I'm excited to share it. I do want to say though, have you never seen just friends? Uh, No, I don't even know what that is. It's Amy smart and um, Ryan Reynolds. And it, the movie starts off with him being like fat in high school and like super in love with this girl. And she's just like, I love you like a friend. And then he leaves and he becomes like this record executive and he comes back to New Jersey by accident kind of. And he like tries to get this girl to fall in love with him, but he like is still tripping on himself. It's a great holiday film. Uh, huh. It's it's mine and uh, my other half's November 1st movie. So we try and like chill a little bit between November 1st and 11th. We, we try and stay away from the Christmas stuff a little bit, but we've like, ever since we've been together, it's been November 1st. We watched just friends from like our second year of dating. And it's kind of like our little traditional movie, but it's mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's very enjoyable and uh, it's very quotable, but to, oh, I might have to watch it. Yeah, I think you should, um, but seen this, no. we definitely think you should watch these 10 movies. So starting off at number 10, uh, it was a movie that made my list, but not David's, but uh, our impartial third party. 
thank you, ladies, had decided that this was an appropriate 10th movie for our list. And that is The Night Before. And that's the one starring Seth Rogen, um, Anthony Mackie, and jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Or how do, I can't remember. Somebody says Joseph Gordon three names. God, what a great yeah. movie. Uh, you know what? I honestly totally forgot about that movie. It probably would. It probably would have made my list. Great, great film. Um, the The only thing I find very difficult about the movie right now is the streaming rights. For some reason, it's on Netflix in like the middle of the summer, but come Christmas, it doesn't exist. Um, and it is the story of three friends who always celebrate Christmas together or the night before Christmas together. And this year is a little bit different because it's supposed to be their last Christmas. And uh, it's just it's one of those ones that kind of came out of nowhere. It's not like one of those Christmas classics that you might hear of a few of them up the list. But it's not one of those ones that's like a mainstay or a staple for a ton of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like falls into the category of like stoner movies still. Yeah. And a lot of people call it also a holiday film, which I, I I can't agree with because it happens on Christmas Eve. It's not like Gremlins. But it still takes place. It, it still acknowledges and celebrates, you know, ha- Christmas, Hanukkah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there is the stoner <laughs> aspect to it. Yeah. Um, it it was like, it was a toss up for me between this one and uh, what's an office Christmas party. But again, that one's just more of a, an event. I don't think I've seen office Christmas party either. It's a, it's pretty decent. It's a, it's a pretty decent film. Uh, out of 10, I give this one a solid eight out of 10. I really enjoy the film. I laugh at it every single time. It's, it's, it's one that's in contention to be a classic pretty much year in and year out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't remember it well enough to give it a rating, oh, well, that's fine. <laughs> but our next one, this was, I think this was, no, this was like near the bottom of my list. Maybe it was, maybe. Um, yeah, I think ours are like right beside each other. So you can see where we had them. Yeah. Right. Uh, so this one is because I, I put this one so low on mine because it's like it's like the Nightmare Before Christmas in the sense that is it a Christmas movie? Is it a Halloween movie? This one, yes, there's people that stand by saying that this is ultimately a Christmas movie, but the only thing that's Christmas about it is that it takes place on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the one and only die hard the 1988 film starring bruce willis and alan rickman Mm -hmm. nakatomi tower plaza plaza same thing i love um the one thing about die hard that i think never gets old is how much brooklyn 99 uses it as just a prop (laughs) in his television show yeah like even on jake's bachelor party he meets reginald val johnson which is so funny (laughs) yeah I I think like what makes this movie so good is it's, it is such a quotable film. Um, and it's kind of just, it kind of does embody the whole idea of Christmas Eve. Like people just want to go home or, you know, they just want to have a party, all that stuff. (laughs) And it kind of ruins it for Mm -hmm. John McClane, unfortunately. Um, 
but it did lead to a great series of movies up until number three. I don't know. Like when you come up with a sequel called Die Hard, Die Harder. (laughs) It's just, okay, when are we giving up here? Well, it was Die Um, Hard 2. Yeah, and then wasn't the third one Die Harder? No, it was Die Hard with a Vengeance. And then Uh, the fourth one was Live Free or Die Hard. That one was kind of stupid. I think (laughs) there was another one, too. Yeah, it was I, a good day to die hard. Yeah. I think once movies take the main character and add their child into the mix, that's where it's just going downhill. That's true. But like when you saw the title of Die Hard 2, right? Like keep in mind Die Harder or Die Hard 2, Die Harder came out in 1990. So I would have been 3, you would have been 2. We wouldn't have known that, but like, mm-hmm. do you not see that as like a video game title the way that's presented? Like Spider Man, Spider Man Two, Spider Man Three. Like you know, you're like looking at the subtitle. Yeah, I don't know. No, this when is where take place. Oh yeah, and Christmas Eve as well. So why is okay? Hold on. Why isn't Die Hard Two considered a Christmas Christmas movie, but Die Hard One is? So I can answer that question. Because I've had this debate with a bunch of people. And it's the same reason when you look at our list, there's only one of another movie series included. Now, the reason being is when people think of Die Hard in a Christmas movie, they don't think of Die Hard 2 or Die Hard 3. It's just synonymous with Die Hard. And a lot of people, including myself, would typically have Die Hard in like my top five. For this exercise, I tried to have something that was a little bit more for everybody. But when it comes to the Die Hard films, like the second one is the one with Yippie Kaye, motherfucker, right? Or Yippie Kaye, um, Mr. Falcon, the one that they put on. Something like that, yeah. Where he lights the gasoline on fire and it blows up the plane. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, again, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve. That's just the, like, they were presented as Christmas movies that were not also Christmas movies. <laughs> right. Like, it came out in July. July 3rd. It came out of the 4th, 4th of July weekend. And it's a Christmas movie. And it's like all the same actors. Just everything. Some theaters every so often um, still play Die Hard every December. I remember going last. It was last winter. Um, a landmark cinema was showing it. So my buddy and I went. It was the earliest I've ever been to the movies. It was like 10 a.m. It was stupid early. To go to the movies, but it was five bucks and we watched Die Hard on the big screen. It was fun. Now, what would you give Die Hard out of 10? I'm I would, giving it. I would say for 80s action flicks um, and memorable movies, I would give it an eight out of 10. I'm going to give it a nine because if I at least once a month don't say welcome to the party, pal, I'm not li- I'm not dying hard. I'm not living free and dying hard. It's just it's one of the one of the most quotable Christmas movies of all time. And it's one of the most controversial movies of all time when it comes to that. And even Bruce Willis said it wasn't a Christmas movie. Yeah, and then people hated on him for, for it for a long time. I did see a friend of mine has a Christmas ornament, which is um a little air duct with John McClane in it. I thought oh, yeah, I've really seen cool. that. Yeah, that's those are funny. Next up on the list is another movie made in the eighties. 
1988 to be exact, starring the one and only Bill Murray. It is Scrooged. Now, you were a bigger fan of this film than I was, so I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. Well, you know, Scrooge is a classic story of an angry old man that has his money and hates Christmas, and he learns learns how to love Christmas by being visited was, by multiple ghosts. Wasn't it a different kind of adaptation to it as well? Yeah, he was like a big TV exec or something like that. And and uh, I don't know. I, I just think that it is a good take on the like, – it's – even though the movie is kind of old, right? Mm-hmm. When does it come out, Scrooge? Um, it is a modern take on, or modernized take on the classic Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Yeah. Um, 1988. <laughs> so, yeah, same. It This takes place, or this was released at the same time that Die Hard takes place, roughly. Um yeah, he's a IBC television president. Frank Cross is pushing his company to broadcast an exav- ex- extravagant live production of A Christmas Carol on Christmas Eve. So, like, they aren't completely ignoring the fact that it's based off of A Christmas Carol, right? Because it's mm-hmm. they modernized it in the sense that this is going to be the ultimate, best, greatest Christmas spectacular television broadcast of all time. But then we get to see the behind the scene and the look and how kind of corrupted uh frank cross has become with his money and you know fame and wanting to become the you know all that um i don't know i i think that it is just uh it has its funny moments right like it doesn't take itself too too seriously that's true right um so it's it does have parts that are not meant for children because i'm pretty sure there are some um bare breasts um in the movie but oh chesticle breasticles yeah chesticle breasticles testicles and watch um but i don't know i i just always think that it's one of those movies that if i'm if i'm kind of feeling up for a christmas movie but i don't want like a, a traditional christmas movie in the sense that like you know everyone's all merry and happy all the time and santa and all that stuff i'll pick up and i'll watch scrooged Fair enough. And, and Bill Murray is fantastic. He's he's funny. He's a funny guy. I, f- I feel as if I didn't get to appreciate Scrooge as much as I could have when I was younger. So it wasn't one that just continually had an appeal for me. I think I wonder if it's a movie that you need to kind of be older to appreciate it. Like, don't get me wrong. I think I appreciate it now and I can understand some of the jokes a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But yeah. What what are you giving it for uh, for a comedic Christmas movie? I'm going to say uh, nine out of ten. Nice. I was going to say an eight out of ten. So we'll give it a solid eight point five. Just meet ourselves in the middle and call it a day. Number seven on our list is another movie from the 80s. 1983. We're going to where we are going to see a lot of actors that we haven't seen for a very long time. Um, Mr. Gene Shepard is one of them. Peter Billingsley, um, Melinda Dillon, and Derek uh, Darren McGavin starred in A Christmas Story, which for us late '80s and early '90s babies was the sh- the the Christmas movie 
that they played all day Christmas on TBS. And now for thanks to all us millennials and everybody else, you just get 24 hours of a big bang theory on most channels mm-hmm. on Christmas day. Um, this movie, my mother had to record it from the TV. So we had a copy of it on VHS recorded from the TV where she like stopped at each commercial, like stopped recording when the commercial started and started recording again so that we had a, as little uncut version of it as possible. Cause it was so hard to find back then. It would, um, we now have it on Blu-ray and all that stuff, but this movie was, and it still is. This movie is our Christmas Eve tradition. We nice. always watch a Christmas story. Um, in the, in recent years, you know, when with everyone kind of moved away, we'd still all get together at my parents' house and, you know, the people who are in, in town, um, we get together and watch a Christmas story on New Year's Eve. We'd always have our hors d'oeuvres and, you know, have a few wobbly pops. Um, but yeah, this movie was, it, it was such a unexpected cult classic. The budget was like $3 million. Um, the house was actually, you can actually, um, the house that they filmed it in is still standing. It's in, isn't like, it an Airbnb right now? It's in Cleveland somewhere. I don't know if you it's are, a, you're totally right. It's in Cleveland. It is on the same street or street adjacent of the house that they shot the Drew Carey show. And the only reason I know this is when some friends and I went to Cleveland for a football game, we were going to go see it, but the rain was too bad. So we didn't end up going. Mm-hmm. We went to uh, like this really cool Cleveland mall that was inside like an old church and a bunch of other stuff. Oh, it's a museum now. Yeah. Oh, I might have to take a trip to Cleveland. Just- I would love to go to Cleveland again. Um, but yeah, this movie, it's it, it has a special place in my Christmas memories because it is something that for as long as I can remember. Actually, this movie is the one that replaced us being forced to watch um, It's a Wonderful Life. I fucking hate that movie. I, I had it on my list just because it is uh, like the epitome of a Christmas classic oh, and like it's even referenced in other movies, but yeah, I don't have is. your money. It's in Bill's house and it's in Ted's house. Good money. I, I, the reason why I hate it. It's a wonderful life is because my dad would force us to watch it because it was it. And it was one of those classic Christmas movies. It's like the, like you said, the epitome of Christmas movies, but as children, young children being forced to watch this, this movie was, it was just boring. You know, Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. I don't give a shit. <laughs> so then once once we got a copy of A Christmas Story um, at home, it, it Christmas changed forever. You know, that movie is so quotable. I know pretty much half of that movie, three quarters of that movie. I don't know. It just is, it's a timeless classic and I'm going to give this one, even though it's not like it wasn't first on my personal list. Um, I'm going to give it a, a 10 out of 10. Wow. I gave it a seven. So that's another middle range score. So we'll say another eight and a half. We're, uh, we're, we're living above that eight that actually we'll give that a nine. I'll, 
I will I will concede to the nine out of ten. How about that? Right. Next up, honestly, I'm surprised it didn't make our top fives. Um, it's a movie I constantly like. Will I was very excited last year to find a DVD at Walmart for like five bucks, and that kind of tells you like what people think of the movie with a meta meta score of 34 from Metacritic, but an over uh, renowned popularity. It is Arnold Schwarzenegger's Jingle All the Way. You think Arnold Schwarzenegger in a Christmas film? Yes, and it's amazing. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sinbad, the late Phil Hartman, Rita Wilson. My God. Oh, Jim Belushi has a mall Santa. I forgot about that too. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal movie. Uh, I always remember, or I always think of when he's running down the street trying to win the radio contest. And like he just leaves the diner after he fights with Sinbad. And he's like, Dasha Tensa Prince of Vixi Kobe Kivitana Bison. And he's just running and running and running. And it's just Austrian accent. Oh, it's phenomenally funny. Um, it makes me think of like, do you did you ever have a toy that you really wanted at Christmas? And your parents told you years and years later that it was like so hard for them to get? No. Oh, I remember, <laughs> I remember them struggling to find me a green and a red Power Ranger at one point. But and my brother, the big one was I don't know if you remember this toy, but Action Man, he had his own cartoon. Yeah, it sounds familiar. And he had like that sand running, like super wheeled snow skateboard thing. Um, They said that was a very difficult toy to find. And my mom always thought it was super violent because the the board that he had had two like saw blades that shot out. (laughs) So they were spring loaded and it would just like spin and like fly across the room. But that's what it makes me think of, and like how every like one out of every five kids ends up with a toy they don't want. Like they get like the Blue Ranger, or in this case, they get Booster. So I'm uh, I'm one out of five kids in my family, and I was that one out of five kids. <laughs> so what was the what was the toy you wanted versus the toy that you got? I don't I don't remember. I repressed those memories. That's pretty much how I go with Christmas. Um, that's, that's so sad. <laughs> this, this movie is kind of, it's funny because it, it puts a humorous spin on the strife that all parents go through, you know, and we're not there yet in our lives because we don't have children. We have significant others that sometimes, you know, might be acting like children. <laughs> scratch that part um no so we haven't had the the stress of trying to find a hot new toy for our children that don't exist right yeah it's called it's called a ps5 <laughs> and everybody wants one. i know right um but it's a it's a, a comedic spin on the, on how and what parents have to go through um just to get all of this stuff it was just, and funny thing is, is I always thought that this movie came out after Star Wars Episode One, um, but it released in 1996, and Episode One released in 1999. So this was Jake Lloyd was, I think it was one of his first movies. He played, yeah, because he was a young Anakin. Yeah, he played one of uh, he he what who who is he in the? Uh... He's Jamie, the the main yeah, character. Yeah, that's right. 
he's the kid. So, man, that kid was in Star Wars, and he got to meet Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, and one of those is way cooler than the other. We'll let you decide, because as we learned yesterday, or last episode, the movies he was in was kind of just like in the void of like their passable movies, but they're not the three worst ones. Mm-hmm. Um, up next is the top five. And I've got to say, I'm pretty excited for our top five. Starting off with the, the Jim Carrey led. Um, sorry. Wow. How the Grinch stole Christmas. I wanted <laughs> to make sure I said the right one because there's like the Dr. Seuss, the Grinch stole Christmas. Well, like, how the Grinch stole Christmas. I think is this, is it called, the Grinch, or is it How the Grinch Stole Christmas? I don't remember. I literally put it here as The Grinch to save space. Um, but this was the first real live-action Christmas adaptation of a cartoon that we got to see, and it is by far one of the highest-regarded Christmas films of all time. More to the point, they tried to remake it last year or two years ago, animated with Benedict Cumberbatch, and I've still yet to see it. But Benedict Cumberbatch. No, but um, this one had quite the cast too, right? Like Taylor Momsen, Jeffrey Tambor, Kristen Bransky, Molly Shannon was a who. There's a lot of really good, strong people in this film. And it makes it that much more enjoyable seeing these people as characters that you wouldn't necessarily perceive them to be. I, I and think like, a big part of what makes the movie so good is Jim Carrey. You know, um, if they were to have any other actor, I don't know who else could play the Grinch as well as Jim Carrey did. Because in the cartoon that everyone knows and loves, um, the Grinch is a very animated character. You know, he's got that when he does that big grin, you know, his face just gets it just stretches from ear to ear and Jim Carrey can do that. Like he can make these, these over exaggerated facial expressions and stuff like that. It's true. And, and you know, him playing the Riddler, right? It's kind of like the same character, except one's super crazy. Well, I guess they're both kind of evil characters when you think about it. Um, but he makes a, he makes the movie. Um, no, don't get don't get me wrong. I think Cindy Lou, who is also f- the the choice they made for oh, that yeah. little girl at the time, was phenomenal. And she's gone on to do things like Gossip Girl and uh, a few other like shows and movies. But that like the two of them paired together just had insane chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were like, um, what's that um, that Asian symbol? The yin and the yang. I know you were. See, we're on the same wavelength. Sometimes we just finish each other's sandwiches. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> all right. What are you going to give this one? Ah, uh, the Grinch. I watch it once a year easily. It's still funny. I still love hearing like him. I think my favorite kind of part of the movie is when he's going over his day. He's like, well, dinner with myself. I can't cancel that. Uh, I'm going to give it a nine out of 10 for comedic value and rewatchability. You know, like, because this is number five and we still have four more to go. Everything else is going to have to be a higher than a nine. Then well, jingle all the way. We 
or no, a Christmas story, we gave a nine and it got further down the list just because of rating. Yeah, I know. That's just based off of where our lists, they are on our list. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say the Grinch. I'm going to give it an eight. Um, I honestly can't say that I've seen it in the last, I don't think I watched it last Christmas either. Well, then it's an eight and a half out of 10. Yeah. Going with the median. Oh, man. These next four. I watched this one the other night. It is the 1994 Tim Allen classic. Quite possibly one of the the best Christmas movies made in oh, the last ever. 20 years. Right? Like, um, I would say 30, just to include the 80s. <laughs> Well, when you think about it, it's one of those movies. And I think the ones that we're getting into now are going to be the same movies that are always shown on TV networks and stuff like that. Right. Shown in schools on the last few days of school before Christmas break, all that stuff. But there's a reason why, because they are, they are so good. They are classics. And yeah, the Santa Claus, it is one of those movies that I, I watch every year. My favorite part, is it's near the beginning when he's trying to make the turkey when he's trying to make the dinner and they have like the the song boom 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 you know the one right and you can hear it in your head as you're singing it as i'm singing it almost exactly the same uh and it's like panning over like the nice perfectly cooked meals all that stuff and then it moves over and he's like spraying the oven with the fire extinguisher <laughs> and then they ha- and then they have to go to the diner for for dinner and which is a nod to a christmas story which i also think is very nice yeah yeah so it's just things like that that are so and as i get older movies with children annoy me you know, <laughs> you know, like kids are always kind of like the annoying addition to most movies. And I get it. This is a child's child's movie, a movie made for kids. Um, there are adult jokes in there for sure. So but many good ones. As uh, as I've grown up, I still like what's his name? What's the kid's name in this one? Charlie. Charlie. He's not like an annoying kid. Right. Like he plays a purpose in the movie and but he's such a like an annoying kid at the he, same he, time. He is, but he's also relatable, right? Like he has that innocence that I think every every kid had at some point, you know, the a true believer in Santa Claus and Christmas and and I I think what makes this movie so good is that it connects to both the child's viewpoint of Christmas and Santa and the adult viewpoint of Christmas and Santa and it brings them together and I don't know there's just so many good good quotes and like I don't know the movie's just great I think the movies kind of went downhill after the first one the second one's not too bad Um, the the third one has like one like it's the dumbest quotable line but when uh, when the the like general Santa is there and like he's drinking cocoa. And he's just like, I love cocoa. I laugh so hard all the time. It makes no sense as to why I think that's funny. <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things where I, I like, I know it's coming and I have to laugh at it. Um, what are you giving the Santa Claus? I'm going to give the Santa Claus an eight and a half 
One eight and a half. I like it. We're we're really staying away from the nine minus that Christmas story, eh? Yeah, because Christmas story is a it's a staple in my Christmas. I don't know. I think we're gonna go from like a bunch of not like eight and a halves to tens. Just I have a feeling. Maybe. All right. Well, the next one up <laughs> is a bona fide ten for me. If it, it was oh, literally absolutely. number one on my list. Um, it was number three on your list, and the girls had it at number two. No, no, but, no. It was number five on my list, but I feel like that was a typo on my part. <laughs> it should have been. Yeah. <laughs> um, we we used the bell curve, especially because the number one and two movies for this exercise were fairly unanimous. Our one, two, and three were pretty much the same through the lists that we curated. This 1989 classic. Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo. It's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which is the third vacation movie in the series before they like spun off later and did like Vegas Vacation and Christmas Vacation too. There is, uh, I don't know the meta. The meta score is forty nine. I watch this movie religiously. It's probably one of the most quotable and relatable movies. During a hectic holiday season, I mean, now mm. it could be deemed a little bit more offensive by some crowds. And sorry, too bad. It's it's a movie that's part of Christmas canon. Yeah, it's funny. Like, don't be a Kathleen Kennedy of Christmas. This movie's staying. <laughs> it's funny because the Rotten Tomato score, um, the critic score is 68, but the audience score is 86. Mm-hmm. And that just goes to show, you know, I, I know in many past episodes, we've talked about critic scores are just kind of that. That's take it as a grain of salt audience scores where, where it's at. But, you know, it's just one of those movies that there's a, there's a TV station that they play this movie for like 48 hours right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they still do it, but I remember a few years ago, Every year for Christmas, it was, you know, turned to this one station and it was always a Christmas, National Lampoon's Christmas vacation. Um, so it's, it, it, it is one of those movies that everyone at some point has seen it. Um, and everyone at some point is going to see it. You know, like they still sell Christmas vacation merchandise. You know, oh you yeah, can, you can you can still the, buy the uh, the eggnog moose glasses and stuff like that. I I want to get my hands on some of those, but I don't have anywhere to put them right now. Mostly, yeah, I'm running out of space. Yeah, that's right. Um, Christmas vacation to me is an automatic ten out of ten. I will still laugh as if I just saw it for the first time. The movie's fairly timeless. It's thirty one years old, man. Mm-hmm. And nothing cracks me up more than him like driving underneath the vehicle after he's like, let's burn some dust and eat my rubber. Yeah. Fixes the newel post with the chainsaw, the RV or not the RV, but like the septic (laughs) system just blows up. There's a raid in the movie. It's great. I, I, I can't say anything really terrible about it. I know some people are very sensitive about it now because of Chevy Chase and some of the things that he's done, but. Don't let what this man did ruin your experience for a, a, like a genuine holiday classic. 
Yeah, I think damn, I'd damn millennials. Uh, I'm gonna have to say say this one's a a ten for me too. Noise. I don't know how this. So either the next two have to be an eleven or twelve out of ten. <laughs> Or I, I think both of them are 10 out of 10. I think that'll be no surprise for either yeah. of us. Um, the next one is from one of our favorite directors. I think I can say that safely between the two of us. And I, I think we are going to do an episode dedicated to John Favreau in the new year because that guy's back has to be broken fixing the problems Star Wars have right now. But right now, <laughs> we are talking about Elf, the Will Ferrell, Zoe Deschanel. James Conn, Bob Newhart, classic film. I forgot Peter Dinklage was in this movie. Oh my yeah, God. He is. Call me an elf one more time. Yeah. <laughs> You're an elf. Um, this movie kind of came out of nowhere when you think about it. Um, and it ended up being one of those movies that regardless of how old you are, you've seen this and you probably still watch it at Christmas time. Do you, I remember in high school when this movie finally was out on DVD high school. Cause you know, like the last few days of school, you don't actually do anything. You just watch movies. Yeah. It's like, why are we even here? Yeah. Uh, because my mom made me go to school. Um, so I remember last day of school, Christmas, 2000 and I don't know, let's say like 2004. Um, Every single class that I had, we watched Elf. But we always started the movie over again. So in the day that I had, like I had like five classes, right? I watched the beginning of Elf five times. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. That year, I did not want to watch Elf ever again. But it is it is such a good movie. There's there's my favorite part is when he's leaving and he's on the ice float and the narwhal goes out and like he's like, bye, buddy. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad, (laughs) you know, and and just things like he uh, eats the gum, eating the gum off the hand railing. And what did he do? Oh, he sprayed uh, perfume on his tongue. The maple syrup spaghetti. Yeah, you know, like just so many good, funny parts of that movie. Santa, I know him, is right up there from that. I know him from work as like just insanely quotable. Mm-hmm. Um, out of curiosity, before we go to the final film, I just wanted to ask you. So Will Ferrell's career was already taken off. Like he was doing really well because he had all that Saturday Night Live stuff behind him, right? So we had Austin Powers. He had the Night of the Roxbury. He had well, he had two Austin Powers movies before this came out. Um, he was doing a lot of like just kind of little jobs, but his big thing was um, Night of the Roxbury and Zoolander. And then he did Old School, right? And then he booked Elf. Then the movies he started booking were insane: <laughs> Starsky and Hutch, The Anchorman. Bewitched, Wedding Crashers, um, Curious George, Blades of Glory, Good Cop, Baby Cop, Step Brothers, and like it just goes on and on and on. Mm. Zoe Deschanel needed this movie. Like this movie kicked her. Like she had a lot of very small things. She she was in Almost Famous um, in two thousand. Then it was just like little things. She was like she played a girl in the New Guy. 
an episode of Frasier, then Elf hit, right? And then it was like a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, she was in an Offspring music video, Failure to Launch, Live Free or Die. Like it was just, it was crazy how much hers, her career just kind of picked up. And she's always been more of a, like a TV kind of actor. Like she's had the new girl. She was mm-hmm. in 500 Days of Summer. Um, weeds like she's been in a lot of stuff but i just find it interesting how her career has been shaped and changed because well, of this sometimes it's just it just takes like that one hit movie to mm-hmm. find or show uh an actor's kind of niche or talent right like not to say that um will ferrell was not a talented actor beforehand but i think if you look at a lot of the act actors that he played afterwards um, or a lot of characters, they were all kind of that eccentric over the top actor or the character. Right. And left um, stranger than fiction, which was a great movie that people hated. And, and you look at like Zoolander and um, what was that other one? Uh, Night at the Roxbury his characters were like comedic in that, but they weren't like the over the top, like, like elf or, um, old school, old school, stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, or, uh, Talladega Knights, right. Like, or, uh, step brothers, you know, those are like the over the top eccentric characters that he has played. And I think it just kind of continued, like it just continued on from elf, but, also, John Favreau, Favreau or Favreau really, I think, catapulted his his career f- forward because also I think other like other studios and companies they'll see these movies and they'll make like a ton of money and they're like, oh, you know what? That actor, whoever it may be, that was in that movie that did billions of dollars, people are going to see this movie because they liked him in that one, right? Yeah. And it just snowballs. And that's kind of how it, how it is, right? I was thinking about this the other day. There's, we go through phases where we have the same actors in a lot of, a lot of movies for, you know, five or six years, sometimes 10 years. And then after a while, they just kind of stop. Yeah. You never see them again. Right. Um, like what's the guy who played Bane? Um, um Tom, uh, Tom no, Hardy, Tom, Tom Hardy, right? For a while, he was in a lot of movies. He was in Batman. He was in movie legend. He was in, uh, mo- most recently Dunkirk. Um, and, and there's a, like, what is a pier 93 or something like that? Like there's, there's a bunch of movies that he was in and he was always kind of cast as like this, um, I don't know, burly kind of guy, but then, he hasn't really been in much since, right? But I think, uh, who else? Like, there's so many. There's so many that you know they have that one movie that just kind of catapults them into more movies, and then they just kind of stop, right? Um, it'll be interesting to see when that happens to the likes of, say, like Robert Downey Jr., um, Chris Pratt, um, and. Uh, What's this guy who played um, Captain America? Chris Pine? No, Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see when that happens to them, right? Because they've been household names for the last decade. 
because they've been in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? But now that that's ended, or like at least that phase with a lot of them in it, how is that going to affect their future careers in, in films? I know that we're getting another um, Sherlock Holmes movie, but like uh, Doolittle did not do very well for Robert Downey Jr. Oh, and now he's rumored to be part of the Iron Spider project. So we'll see what where that goes. Interesting. Um, the final movie on our ranking, and this is a movie you should drop everything and watch right now, is the the second film. After this episode's done. After you're done listening to this episode. <laughs> Just drop everything and go for it. It is Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Kevin McAllister got into it again and got lost once again. This time, he jumped on the wrong plane and his family forgot him on, when they went to Paris. And he gets up in, uh, he gets into some real shenanigans. And I also did learn today that the deal back in the 90s, if you were to film at the Plaza Hotel, uh, because it was a, a building owned by Donald Trump at the time, or not the plaza, but like the the Trump Tower inside the plaza area, is Donald Trump had to appear in your film. That was part of the agreement if you were going to film there. So films and TV shows would often have him as a cameo where he'd say nothing or just walk through the screen. And that was as part of the agreement. Yes, Donald Trump was a bad man even in that movie. <laughs> Was he? He just told he told Kevin McAllister where to go to like directions. Bad man. Bad man. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think this film is synonymous with um, Christmas movies in general. I do believe Home Alone 1 might be a little bit more popular, but this one has better traps, better, like better energy, better action, mm-hmm. and just overall a better feel. I feel like the story is is just better in general. Like the first one, it's a pretty basic premise, you know, kids left at home while his parents or his family goes on vacation, right? And he has to defend the house. That's really, really it. You know, like he just, but this one actually has a story. You learn a lot about um, Kevin McAllister. We learn a lot about his mother, his relationship with his parents. Um, And we learn a lot about just, this kid and he yes he's he is a kid and he does kid things and he just wants to have fun and he makes mischief but at the same time he really has to grow up in that movie right Um, and did you know trivia there's like five home alone movies yep one has a very young scarlett johansson in it and that's home alone three which Home Alone 3, I would say, is not horrible. I remember seeing it in theaters when it came out because I was a child. Um, but I feel like I kind of want to watch Home Alone 4 and 5. One is one is just beyond messed up. It's like the McAllisters had a divorce, so it just changes it completely. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, I know that they went back to the the McAllister family for like, I think the fifth one. Um, but like they, the two and four, they had changed like the, the kid's name and stuff like that. The story behind the third one is so funny. I watched the trailer the other day just for the hell of it. Um, there's like a nuclear bomb, uh, or nuclear detonator that was being, Oh, in an RC car. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, 
it was like left in this neighborhood. So these, the, these robbers are trying to find the house with it. So they're going from house to house, breaking in and the kid's like sick or something like that. He's got chicken pox or something or whatever. And, uh, so he's left at home and he has to defend the house because the police don't believe him. It's so stupid, but oh well. Yeah. We just, uh, before we finish our movies, we want to quickly point out that while we acknowledge that these exist, we also wanted to point out that they feel more like TV specials because they're always on TV every year. They're not things that you toss in your DVD player and they're not more than an hour. And that's, of course, the claymation Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, uh, Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown, the Flintstones Save Christmas, Robbie the Reindeer, and all of the other reindeer. These are these are classics that we like to watch and enjoy, and we hope that you enjoyed watching watching them too. Now, David, yo, we have to tell our good friends here what we asked Santa for. Now, I know you and I decided to split it up, so you're going to do some board games, and I'm going to do some video games. But let's hear let's hear your top five Christmas wish list games that you want to receive for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever. Well, I already have all of these games, but I could say if you're looking for some games to ask for Christmas, you know, if you, if you want to break out of the classic old monopoly and Scrabble world, and you don't really like want to play Catan, then these games might just be for you. So number five on my list, a great game to play with your friends. It's a co-op game with some, traitorism <laughs> some betrayal mixed in there no it's not betrayal legacy it is dead of winter a zombie apocalypse is upon the world nice. you are survivors and you have to survive a certain number of days or rounds whatever the scenario may be while going out to different locations to get resources to have enough food and to defend your base from zombies attacking um, I love playing this game in the winter time because it's just fitting. Um, it is a zombie game for sure, but it does take place in the winter. There is actually an official soundtrack on YouTube of, you know, wind blowing and stuff like that and zombies and stuff like that. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. So that's my number five game. Uh, number four on my list. This is a great two player game. You can play with four players, but if you've ever wanted to feel the power of, of the empire and crush some rebel scum. You might want to pick up the game star Wars rebellion made by fantasy flight games. This game came out a few years ago, um, but this is an epic, epic game. Um, the game board is massive. It's so big that it is in two parts. Um, I don't think it's big enough. Like, I don't think my table is big enough to fit the game in its entirety. Uh, essentially one person plays as the rebels. One person plays as the empire. The rebels have a, their hidden base somewhere in the galaxy and the empire has to find it and defeat them. Um, along the way you have your generals and your agents that you send out to do different missions and you create your armies. The empire can build the danger egg also known as the death star um, it's it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of strategy. It is a long game as well. Um, but yeah, it's a great one versus one 
game and you can kind of make up your own star Wars story in that. Um, number three on my list, we've talked about it in a previous episode. It has the word legacy in it and a lot of betrayal. And yes, that would be betrayal legacy. If you, uh, haven't heard of this game, listen to uh, a few episodes back. I talk about it extensively, but this is a great little game to get some friends together and play. The nice thing about this one is that it grows with you as you play. So there's multiple scenarios that you play, uh, kind of a growing story disconnected from each specific character that you play. But, uh, Ultimately, when you're done playing through the story, you have a fully customized game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It starts off as a co-op game, but ends as a one versus all game, which is pretty cool. Uh, number two on my list, if you want to get into one of the best and highest rated board games of all time, but you don't want to commit to the sheer amount of game, there is Gloomhaven jaws of the lion this is a new gloomhaven game it's a little smaller in size um but it is uh kind of like an entry into the world of gloomhaven it comes with some new characters the nice thing is that all the all of the maps all the levels are based off of the um what is it? All the maps are made in the book, the main book. Um, like the, the game manual has all the maps. So you don't have to like worry about tiles any and putting maps together, right? It's like really easy to just uh, start playing. Um, and the, and the uh, entry cost of this one is significantly less. I think it's like you can pick up for like 50 bucks. Um, and my number one list, the number one game that you should get for board games for this Christmas is Everdell. Now, amazing choice. Amazing choice. Sean played this one. We played this over quarantine. We played it digitally, which I have to admit isn't the same as playing it in person. But this is it's a fun game. The artwork is amazing. Um, it's easy to learn. It's a nice, like it's it's a worker placement game, sure, but there's a lot of strategy involved in it. And it's it's just, I don't know, it's a game that you can play and be calm when you play it, <laughs> in a sense. Um, it's one of those things that it's it's appealing to people of all skills um, because it's it's not difficult it doesn't it's not a violent game you're literally just building your town of critters um, before the end of the year um there's a bunch of expansions if you want to expand your gameplay so there's like adds a river there's um a special there's one what is it belfair which is like a, a celebration of sorts that's added to it so there's a lot of variation of this game there's actually it's funny there's actually on um discord there's a whole everdell league where literally people just play everdell digitally online it's crazy like this game is um i don't know it's my number one game it's a game that i'm always up to play i think that it will appeal to people of all ages and skill sets and interests um, but yeah, that's my, that's my, my game list. If you 
are going to ask for one game this year. Ask for one of those five. You won't be All disappointed. Right. Now I'm going to go over the top five games that you should ask for this, this holiday season. Uh, coming in at number five, uh, we have The Last of Us Part Two. If you are a Sony user, you have heard of this game and have probably wanted to play it or have played it through. Uh, at this point in time, I can tell you it's still one of the most cinematic games I think I've ever played. It's incredibly beautiful. And if you want a long, story-driven, linear experience, this 100% is the game for you. It is going to keep you busy for hours. There's not a lot of side quests, so it's really about the story, which is great. But it's also an emotional experience if you've played The Last of Us Part 1. It's a definite must-have this holiday season if you haven't played it already. Number four on the list, it comes as no surprise to a game I would possibly push for somebody. It is Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. If you are playing Warzone right now, you know the new season is coming, and you're going to want those new guns to be fresh with the game. You don't want to be behind your friends who have all these cool um, Cold War weapons, and you have the same Warzone ground loot that everybody else has. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War also has an, inten- an extensive bla- or, uh, zombie mode as well as an incredible story so far that's a little bit more open and free than previous games, which is also very interesting. That is number four on my list. Number three is going to be a tiny little game called Doom Eternal. Doom, as many of you all know, is that really awesome, gory, rage-filled, I guess they're kind of like Monster Aliens shooter. This game, demons. Yeah, if you like gory demon slash and blow up games, then this is the game for you. I know that says <laughs> that epitomizes every quality that Christmas has. However, Doom is also just one of those classics. If you've been playing it since the early 90s, you definitely want to pick up this game. Number two and number one were at a crossroads for me, if you will, because I think they are still going to be two of the most popular games this holiday season. Number two is Animal Crossing New Horizons, which is the best-selling Nintendo Switch game of all time, and it's rapidly closing in on one of the highest-selling games of all time. Yeah, it's this saved, game got saved the world during the pandemic. This game got so many people out of the pandemic by letting them be friends and build houses and make magical islands for themselves. Now, the cool thing about this too is not everybody got it in March because it wasn't available. Switches were few and far between until about August. Now, if you're getting a Switch for Christmas, you should definitely ask for this title because if you don't, you're going to miss out on an opportunity that we're probably not going to see for another 10 years. It was eight years since the last really solid console version of Animal Crossing came out, I believe, right? Or was it a little bit... Was it GameCube or was there one for Wii? There was one for Wii. City folk. We we don't count hand we don't count handhelds when it comes to consoles. Those are personal consoles. Finally, the game that has been released since we started this podcast because today is Friday. Of course, it is Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. If you are like myself, you asked Santa for this for Christmas. You you begged and you pleaded. You told him you were a nice person. This is the game you and all your friends are going to talk about and play. Now, keep in mind, parents who are trying to get this for your child, 
there is some sensitive subject in there and the game is or will have a mature rating. But there's boobs. Fear yeah, fear not. You can turn those boobs off and make them pixelated or make them continually wear clothing. That is on and up to you. But the game that we've all waited for has been delayed and delayed and delayed has been delayed no more. And it could be under your tree or I don't know where you would get your Hanukkah presents. Just like under the menorah, hanging out somewhere. I don't know. It'll be found <laughs> somewhere in your house uh, on one of those crazy, crazy nights. But Cyberpunk 2077 is the game of choice for us here at Scene on Screen. David, I am pooched. That is a lot of Christmas content. Yeah, I think my list is almost almost done. I just got to fold it up, seal the envelope, lick it. You know, classic. Can you can you do that now? Are you, is are we allowed to lick the envelopes closed, or do we have to dip our fingers in some water and seal it that way? I think you can do whatever you want. Yeah, no one will know. And I got to mail it to Santa Claus at the North Pole. Did you know that Santa Claus technically is in Canada? Because if you mail your letter to him, the postal code is H O H O H O, and Canada has postal codes. Ho ho. Oh, 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 yeah. Amazing. We will catch you guys all later. If you don't like the movies we picked, tell us about it. Pick some of your own. And at the end of the day, we're just here to entertain and hope you enjoyed it. If you uh, have anything else, please contact us, of course. If you like what you're seeing, click subscribe. If you like it, tell all your friends. We're here all the time. For myself and David, I want to say thank you for listening. Peace.